Where do you turn for inspiration? How do you encourage yourself to keep going when life is tough? Um, where do you think? Now, I was thinking uh, this week, um, non-Christians could be forgiven for thinking that we get our inspiration from polar bears and cuddly kittens. Okay, you might be wondering where on earth is Matt going with this? Well, have you ever seen those um, inspirational posters? Those Christian posters, the ones that have inspirational verses from the Bible. You know the ones, and have you ever noticed that if they have animals on them, they almost always seem to be kittens or polar bears. Here's an example of one that I mean. A lovely picture of a polar bear walking along the ice with the words from Galatians 5:25, If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Or how's about this one? Here's two kittens playing in the long grass with Isaiah 41:10. So don't worry because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. I'm not quite sure what exactly that has to do with um, playing in long grass as kittens, but there you go. I have to confess, I've never really been sure why polar bears and kittens are the go-to animals for Christian inspirational posters. I should add, I've got nothing against inspirational posters. Um, I may have had a few on my wall as a kid, though in hindsight, I kind of hope I had more polar bears than kittens. Um, but this next one made me laugh. A kitten who looks like it's about to fall off a bed or something, holding on for dear life with the words, let your requests be made known to God, Philippians 4 verse 6. I know cats always land on their feet, but if kittens could pray, this one certainly would be. But when we think of inspirational verses, Philippians chapter 4 is full of them. Here's just a few verses from chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. That's verse four. Or verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Or verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or verse eight. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Or verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 is full of inspirational verses and they're still made into posters today. You probably recognise the fancy calligraphy on this side, slide. I can do all things through him, Christ, who gives me strength. In fact, we have um, some verses like this in our hallway, um, printed out in fancy writing and, um, and framed. Isn't it fitting that the most delightful letter in the New Testament ends on such a delightful note, so inspirational? But if you read chapter 4, at times it can feel a bit bitty, a bit of a hodgepodge of thoughts thrown together before the letter is finished. Paul pleads with two ladies to get on, possibly the closest thing to a rebuke in the letter. Then there's an encouragement to rejoice, a thank you for their gift, a hello to everyone there, and then everyone here says hello too, and then the grace, and that's the end. 
What are we to make of this chapter? Is it just a list of random commands and encouragements? What have they got to do with being Christian? These ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, were they to get on just because Paul told them to? Were the Philippians to rejoice just for the same reason? And did they feel guilty if they didn't, like they were letting Paul down? And what about all this talk of contentment? I don't know about you, but this week at times I haven't really felt like rejoicing. And I haven't felt content in every and any situation. What are we to do? Well, before we look in a bit more detail at a couple of verses, I want to read seven verses from chapter four. And as you're all at home, I want you to do a bit of homework. I want you to listen out at what they have in common. So chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Verse 7. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And finally, verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Did you spot the repeated phrase? in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. I think James might if I can see him smiling. Stand firm in the Lord, be of the same mind in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, God's people in Christ Jesus. It's all to do with being in the Lord, in Christ Jesus. Uh, verse 12 might have piqued your interest um, as it was being read. Um, I'll show it again. Paul says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That sounds like a pretty good thing, doesn't it? Imagine being content in every situation, whether you've got lots or whether you've got nothing. Being content. Do you want to know what the secret is? Paul says this in the very next verse, in verse 13. I can do all this through or in, through or in him who gives me strength. Being in Christ Jesus, doing everything through him, that's the secret. And being in Christ, well, that's the same as being united with him. That's how Paul describes it in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, being united with Christ. He is in us by his spirit and we're included in him. We're in him and he is in us. And this union, this connection is often described in the Bible and by theologians like a marriage union. 
I showed this wedding ring slide when we were thinking about um, Philippians chapter 2 verse 1. And this idea of marriage is all the way through the Bible. You might remember in the Old Testament, God talks in some of the prophets, particularly Isaiah, about Israel being like a husband, sorry, Israel being a wife to God, God being a husband to Israel, his people. And when they turned away from him, well, they were like a wayward wife committing adultery. They deserved divorce. And in the New Testament, well, the church, the church is called the bride of Christ. We're spiritually married to Jesus. In fact, human marriage is only a foretaste, an illustration, or a little window into what our relationship with Christ is like. Marriage with him is going to be so much more wonderful than any marriage on this earth. Christians and Christ are married. And Martin Luther, he describes it like this. He says, it follows that all they have becomes theirs in common, as well as good things, as evil things. So that whatever Christ possesses, that the believing soul may take to itself and boast of as its own. And whatever belongs to the soul, that Christ claims as his. See, a husband and a wife, they get to share all possessions, good and bad. So when we got married, I was very lucky. I, Liz, had a car and I got to share her car. And Liz was very lucky when she married me. She got to share in my childhood keyring collection. Okay, maybe not quite so lucky. But the point is, married couples share everything that they possess in common. And Luther continues with this. He says, if we compare these possessions, we shall see how inestimable is the gain. Christ is full of grace, life and salvation. The soul is full of sin, death and condemnation. Let faith step in and then sin, death and hell will belong to Christ and grace, life and salvation to the soul. You see, when we become Christians, our sin, our death, hell, that belongs to Christ. That's how Christ's death on the cross can deal with our sin. As our husband, he owns our sin. His death took our punishment. He experienced hell for us. And of course, the deal is so much better for us, isn't it? As Christ's wife, we get to own his grace. We get to own his life and his salvation. He shares that with us, with his wife. That's how we can have life eternal, life to the full. This is the wonderful thing about being married to Christ. See, this great exchange that occurred on the cross, he takes our death and we take his life. That's because we're united in marriage with Christ. That's what happens when you become a Christian. You get married to Jesus. Your whole life changes completely, more so than getting married to a person. See, that's why being in Christ Jesus was how Paul could rejoice in every situation. It was a paradigm shift. More than moving house when you get married, more than changing your name, married to Christ change as everything about your life. So when he had nothing, he could rejoice because he had Christ, the source of life. When he had everything, as we saw last week, 
he considered them as loss. He considered them garbage that he may gain Christ and follow him. And that's how in chapter one he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He didn't want anything to pull him away from his spiritual husband. So let's look briefly at two of these in the Lord verses again. So in verse two, Paul urges Yodia and Syntyche to get on. These two women had a problem. These poor ladies will probably be the most embarrassed people in heaven. Everyone's going to be coming up to them and ask them, what was it you fell out on? But it doesn't really matter what their disagreement was. What's important is how they are to be reunited. Be of the same mind in the Lord. That's what he pleads. He doesn't say have a chat and see what you can agree on and what you can ignore. He doesn't say come to some sort of compromise. No, it's to be of the same mind in the Lord. You see, their ability to get on comes from being united with Christ. These women, well, they're on the same team. They've served alongside Paul. It's more than just trying harder. These women are already in the Lord. He says in the next verse that their names are written in the book of life. They're going to spend eternity together. And in eternity, the disagreements now, well, they're not going to matter, are they? They'll be insignificant. And in the now, they're going to be made more like Jesus. Do you remember from chapter two, what the mindset of Christ is? Paul reminds us with these words, he says, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. Just think, if we all had that mindset, well, there'd never be any arguments, would there? Well, this is the mindset we can have because we're in Christ. So a question for us all, who do you struggle to get on with? Or who can you see struggling to get on with each other? Are there any difficult relationships among us that as your vicar, as your new vicar, I don't yet know about? Well, how are you going to fix it? Do you even want to fix it? Well, being in Christ Jesus helps us. He changes us from the inside out. We're in him. And that other person, if they're a Christian, they're in him as well. We're going to be spending eternity together. And if you desire Christian unity, which actually all of us should, well, the best thing that we can do isn't to force people together, but instead to be praying that we'd all be closer to Christ deepening our relationship with him, getting to know him better, becoming more like him, having his mindset. You see, the closer we are to Christ, the better we'll get on with each other. So let's be praying for our relationship with Jesus and for other people's relationship with Jesus as well. And then in verses four and seven, Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. 
Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you want to guard your heart and your mind, be careful what you rejoice in. Okay, so here's a cartoon of an older married couple. And the wife asks the husband, why are you watching our wedding video backwards? And the husband replies, well, I like the part where I take off your ring, walk out of church, and then go to the pub with my friends. Okay, it's a bit funny, isn't it? But it's also quite sad. You see, possibly the best prayer you can pray for a married man is Proverbs 5, verse 8. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. You see, what you rejoice in and what you delight in, well, it affects your thinking and your behaviour. If you rejoice in your wife or in your husband, well, your marriage is going to be stronger. And if you don't, it won't. Be careful of what you delight in. Our hearts and minds are connected. And it's the same with our husband, Jesus. If you delight in him, if you fill your mind with the wonderful things he has done, if you sing his praises and fill your prayers with adoration, well, your relationship with him will deepen. It'll be stronger. Your heart and your mind will be guarded and you will know more of God's peace, even in the midst of trouble. Verse eight from chapter four. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, he's encouraging us, isn't he, to think about Jesus. Spend time pondering what he has done for you. Think about those true and noble and pure things. That's what will guard your hearts. So I'd like to finish again with that secret. I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret of being content when you fall out with someone, of being content when people slander you or mistreat you. The secret of being content when life is falling down all around you, when you don't feel like rejoicing. How do we do those things? Well, I can do all things all of these things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, we don't do it on our own. It's not a matter of trying harder. We do it through Jesus because we are in him. We're married to him if we're Christians. Being in Christ Jesus, being united with him. That's the secret Paul shares with us. And that's how we can keep going as Christians. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful, wonderful truths of the gospel. That as Christians, we are included in Christ and Christ is in us. That we are united with him. We are united with him like a husband and wife. That all Christ has becomes ours. All those good things, his life, his righteousness being able to have his mindset, to be humble, to treat other people the way you want us to. 
And all those hideous things that we bring into the relationship, our sin, our death, that he takes that on, that he takes it on the cross, and that because of that, Jesus' death on the cross isn't wasted, but it's able to sort things out for us. So, Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful truths of being united with Christ. And we pray that as we ponder that more, as we fill our thoughts, as we think about these things, that you would help us to rejoice, that you would help us uh, to be godly, that you would help us to be humble, that you would help us to get on with others as we see Christ being at work in us and through us. So we pray this all in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen.